you have your Bibles this morning and you would uh, find two places with us this morning, Mark the third chapter, John chapter 16. As you're finding that, I just want to kind of walk something through with you that anytime we study the Word of God, it is a, it is a great privilege, it is a great blessing, but it is also something that we need to understand that it comes with a great responsibility, the handling of God's Word, the reading of God's Word, the study of God's Word. And when I prepare for a sermon, I always originally read the Word of God. I spend time reading it, praying over it. I have what is called a lexicon. It's what tells you what a word means, all the different places in the Bible it's used, and how it's used. And so I read, I pray, I begin to take notes what words mean. Uh, how they fit into places. And then I have a Bible dictionary encyclopedia that explains things. For instance, like what kind of a coin this is and what it translates to. And so then I make notes on that. And, and when I begin to study what the passage means, then I have three pastors, three pastors that I always read what they write on a passage of Scripture. They all have a study Bible with their name to it. And so after I listen to them, what they've wrote about it, then I listen to them preach about it. And then I begin to then work on sermons together, coming together with them. And so that's the kind of process that I take. And this week as I was reading one of the three pastors, and I won't tell you their names, but uh, I was reading his, the study Bible notes and I thought, okay, I'm on the right direction. I, I, I've got a good understanding of, of what it means. And, and the study Bible was written a few years ago before he got quite as famous and well-known and and so I decided I'd go listen to the sermon. And the sermon was completely different than the study Bible. As he had gotten more famous and as he had got a following, he had decided that what he used to believe was not as popular with what people believe now, and he changed it. And I was really just stewing over this, and I was just thinking, that just, that just burns me up. How, why? why? What is, you know, I just can't believe this. And so as I was thinking about that this week, as I was driving home from the fall festival, one of my daughters looked at me and said, Dad, I have a question. I said, fire away, kiddo. There are no stupid questions, but there are definitely stupid answers. And so I fit into that category, but fire away. And she goes, Dad, why are people one way at church and another way at the fall festival? And I went, well, kid, I can tell you that's a question I have long asked myself. And you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? This is what it has to do with. The fact that we can sometimes forget that all of us will one day stand before the Lord. You say, Jake, what does that have to do with the sermon today? As we look at the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we've been looking at what the Holy Spirit does. And we looked about how the fact that He convicts of sin. We looked about the fact that He points us to righteousness, which is Jesus. And then the third thing is judgment. Judgment. You say, well, Jake, I, I don't want to hear a sermon about judgment. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I ate too much this week. I'm in the fall festival blues morning. But friends, I want you to know this morning that the judgment of God, if you are lost today, should be ever on your mind. If you are here today and you are claiming to be a Christian, but yet you do not worry about pleasing God, honoring God, serving God, you need to remind yourself that the judgment of God matters. 
You say, well, Jake, I said a prayer when I was a kid. I'll do what I want. I'll live how I want. And when I get before God, he will be fine with me. It's not what the Bible teaches. And so when we've been looking at this, we see that the Holy Spirit will convict of sin. That's singular. What is that sin? Your response to Jesus Christ. Whether you have rejected him or accepted him. He points you to righteousness. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God who died upon the cross, was buried, and rose again? And then third, that there is going to be a judgment for rejecting Him. There is going to be a punishment for denying Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. And I believe that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so when we look here in Mark chapter 3, we're going to read it One more time, if you would stand with me, out of a reverence to God's Word. And today I pray that you will allow the Lord to deal with your heart today. Then the multitudes came together again so that they could not eat so much bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he has cast out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is the subject to eternal damnation. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. Don't forget Matthew chapter 12. I want to read it to you so that you see it's mentioned again. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Pray with me. Father, today you know that I am totally and completely inadequate for the task that you have called me to do. Lord, the only thing good in me is you. The only thing that can accomplish and work and move today in this place is not by human power, not by human might, but Lord, by your Spirit. And Lord, I pray this morning that he is at work in this place. Father, that he is convicting, that he is revealing, that he is showing, Lord, what we need, and that is you. Father, today I pray that that you would forgive me of anything in my life that would grieve or quench your spirit in this place today, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would use me to, to preach your word, Lord, unapologetically, Lord, with confidence, with humility, knowing that it is the answer that we need. And so, Father, today I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we've been looking about this idea of what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And some people look at churches that do not use the charismatic gifts and say, see, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And others would look at the charismatic movement and what they're doing and say, no, they're blaspheming 
the Holy Spirit. And all of us have probably at some point made a statement like that. I know I have. And if that one statement that I have made has been the issue that will keep me from heaven, I think that is not faithful to what the rest of the Word of God teaches. All of us are raised a certain way, in a certain background, in a certain culture. And so looking at how some people worship and how some people are, are, are following the Lord can cause us to be very quick to comment, even if later on in life we have to look back and say, well, maybe I was wrong. But when we see here in this passage of Scripture in John chapter 16, as we've been working through the Holy Spirit, we need to be reminded of what's going on. Jesus is telling them, you are going to be persecuted. You are going to suffer for being my disciples. And you need to know something, that the Holy Spirit is going to come into the world to work and to move. And it's this vote of confidence for them as they are suffering and persecuted and and, and going through all of this stuff to not lose hope because their labor is not in vain. That God is at work. If I preached and only stayed because of how many of you use the altar after a sermon, I'd have been gone a long time ago. Or if I only preached with how many baptisms we had or how many people were saved or how many new members that joined the church, I would have left a long time ago because numbers can be deceiving. Outward responses can be discouraging. But when I preach, I have to believe that, Lord, I might not see what's going on. I might not know what's going on. But God, You are the one that is working in the secret places of the heart. And today you might say, well, Jake, you have no idea what's going on in my life. You don't know how God's dealing with me, and you are right. But there is one who does, and that's the Lord. And so when we look at John chapter 16, we've looked in verses 5 through 9 about how he is going away and how they'll be sorrowful. But we look there in verse 8, if you remember, and he, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, singular One sin, the main sin, what will you do with Jesus? He'll convict you of the rest of the sins, but it's what you do with Jesus that matters. And of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of unrighteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment, and this is where we're at this morning, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, you need to know that you are a sinner. You need to know that Jesus Christ is who He says He is. But you need to understand that the decision you make will have eternal consequences or blessings. There is no one who can avoid the simple fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And so the Spirit, the third thing the Spirit does is He warns us that there is a judgment to come. There he warns us that there's a judgment to come. Now this is not a popular view. I know a pastor that I have eat with on a regular basis that sat across from me the other day, what's been a few months now, and said, Jake, there is no hell. And I thought I would slap you if it wasn't wrong to beat up old people and people in general. There is no hell. And I said, well, I would beg to differ, and I was starting to show Scripture, and the issue was, it's just not there. And as I looked at him, I thought, with everything in me, I do not know if you can be a child of God and deny that there is a hell. 
You say, wait a second. Because it says the Spirit of God will convict you that you're a sinner, that Christ is Lord, and that there is a judgment to come. And let's look at this this morning because I want you to see the severity of this. The severity of us denying that we will all stand before the Lord someday. And what that means. Because the question that I was asking myself about this pastor who I listen to and I think the world of being willing just to throw aside everything he taught and believed. Or my child asking me, Dad, why is it that people are one way here and another way here? It all comes back to the same simple truth. Do you believe that one day every knee will bow? Every tongue will will confess that God alone sits on the throne of heaven, that God alone rules the universe, that Jesus Christ truly is the judge. And if you don't believe that this morning, I want to show you what the Bible says, because if we're honest, if we're really honest this morning, most of us would not give judgment a second thought. Judgment can't happen to me. Judgment can come to my family. But I want you to know something. I love my six children. I I think the world of them, I would do anything for them. But I want you to hear this. If one of my children dies without Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life, they will not enter into heaven. Even though they're mine, even though I think the world of them, even though their dad's a pastor, it will not matter. You say, well, Jake, that couldn't happen to my kids and grandkids. Look up here. Judgment is something that will fall on all people who reject Jesus Christ. Not just some of them, but all people. Look what it says in John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. What that means is Satan is not in charge. We don't answer to Satan. He's not the one that holds us accountable. He is the great accuser. It's Jesus who sits on the throne. It's Jesus who you need to worry about pleasing. It's Jesus whose life that you are trying to live and honor Him with. Satan is... Defeated, As Adrian Rogers says, he's a defeated foe ruling a doomed kingdom and you need not worry about his judgment but the Lord's. And when Satan tries to convince you that you have failed, when you are not worth it, when you have no value, you need to be reminded that he is not the one whose opinion matters. Christ is the judge. Christ is the one who we live to please. The first sermon that the apostles preached after the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, when he began to preach, he got specific. He said, men of Israel. He didn't gloss over the fact that you're the ones that crucified the Lord. You're the ones that lied about Him. You're the ones who did all of these things. He got right to the point and said, men of Israel. And this morning, the same is true for you and I. 
You can look at the liberal. You can look at the infidel. You can look at the atheist. You can look at the people whose lives don't match up with yours. And you can say, look at them. But this morning the Spirit is wanting you to know God is speaking to you and to I. Men of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. He reminds them, remember, the Spirit was at work showing you that Jesus was who? The Messiah, the Son of God. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosened the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. What he's saying is you're guilty. You're guilty of rejecting the Messiah. And not just rejecting the Messiah but being used according to the plan of God to lie about Him, to take Him to the cross, to crucify Him. He says, you are guilty. And friends, this morning we live in a culture where no one wants to be guilty of anything. No one wants to be responsible for anything. But the Christian faith teaches us that first and foremost, we are sinners. We are guilty of the sins that we have committed. We are deserving of the punishment that God should give us. We are deserving of rejecting Him and spending an eternity away from Him. You say, well, geez, Jake, this is awful discouraging this morning. Well, listen to how Peter finished that sermon in Peter chapter 2. He tells them that they were guilty, but he tells them that they could be forgiven. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, he says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Don't miss that this morning. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now be very careful here. This verse that talks about being baptized, when it really is translated in means, is it doesn't mean that you could be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. It means that once you are forgiven, you should be baptized. It's what we believe. Once you are saved by the grace and mercy of God, you should declare it to a lost and dying world that I have been saved, I have been changed, I have been forgiven. God has done something in my life, and that's why I'm so thankful. This morning we have a baptism in the second service. We have two baptisms tonight and the evening service. Uh, We have a baptism... um, Next Sunday, I couldn't think what it was called, next Sunday uh, morning. Because why? It is a sign, it is an outward expression that God is still saving sinners. And as a church, if nothing else excites you, if nothing else you like about coming here, when people are being saved, when lives are being changed, it should cause you to rejoice. And if it doesn't cause you to rejoice, look up here. You can be saved anytime. 
There is something about watching new life. No one shows up to a hospital, looks at a baby and goes, boy, I regret that God gave us that. Or look at the head on that thing. No, people show up at a hospital, look at new life, and they're like, grown men, some of the toughest, manliest men I've ever seen get to a hospital and go, aren't you just the cutest little thing? Yes, you are. Life, it is exciting unless you hate life. There's a group of people in this country that don't want life. They'd murder every child in the womb if you let them. They're not of God. It's not of God. It can't be associated with God. And if you're a child of God and you think it's all right, there's something wrong in your heart. Because God is the creator of life. Whether it's spiritual life or physical life, God's people should celebrate. But look what happens here. The Holy Spirit began to deal with them. It cut their heart. It convicted them. And Peter says, you've got to repent. You've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You've got to turn from your wicked ways. You've got to turn to Jesus Christ. And this morning, you need to know the formula is the same. As the Spirit of God convicts, as the Spirit of God cuts in your heart this morning, you have to make a response. I'm either going to reject Him, I'm going to deny Him, or I'm going to turn from my wickedness. I'm going to turn from my sin, and I am going to accept that He loves me, that He died for me, that He can wash all my sins away. You say, well, Jake, what happens when a person doesn't? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 7, says these words, And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. He says, hey, you're going through persecution. You're going to be going through difficulties. But don't lose hope. Jesus is going to give you rest one of these days. But listen to verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They don't know. They don't obey. What does that mean? They won't repent. They will not repent of their sins and believe the gospel. What is their response? Look what it says. These, those people who reject the gospel, who will not obey the command to what? Repent. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired by all those who believe. Because our testimony among you was believed. This morning if you are here and you are a child of God, there is no condemnation in Christ. You have been forgiven. You have been set free. One of these days you are going to worship Him and honor Him and glorify Him for all of eternity. He's going to give you rest and peace and joy and all those promises that the Word of God says. Absolutely. But friends, if you reject Christ, if someone you love rejects Christ, Friends, judgment is coming. There is no other way 
to change that fate. You can't buy them from purgatory after you're gone and after they're gone. You can't be baptized for them later in life like the Mormon church. You can't hope that they'll spend their time in punishment and one day pay for their sins and move up. None of those work. It says with an everlasting flame. An everlasting fire. You see, we must never hesitate to tell a lost and dying world that Jesus loves them, that He died for them, that He cares about them, that He desires that all men should be saved, but there is a judgment coming. And friends, this morning, you say, what does that have to do with the fall festival? What does that have to do with the commentary that you were reading? This is what it is. Friends, you need to know something. Repeating a prayer, going through the motions will not save you. You have to what? Repent. That means turn from it and turn to Him. That means every day when God has you in the palm of His hand, the Bible also says that those who persevere to the end shall be saved. It is not just the fact that you felt guilty over your sin one time. It is the fact that after you have turned and trusted Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God has come to live within you, that every day you're yielding to Him. Every day you are humbling yourself to Him. Every day you are saying, Lord, my life is yours. It is a personal relationship with Him that changes everything about you. That's why I recently got in trouble, which is if you can believe that or not. Someone said, Jake, is it a sin not to go to church? And I said, it absolutely is a sin to not be involved in a local church. And someone said, well, Jake, you can go to heaven without going to church. I said, you're right. But the Bible says to know to do good and not to do it, it is And the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some have. So missing church from time to time is just like all of us. We all struggle with sin. But if you habitually, that means I am willfully denying God, His Word, what He wants for my life. And I do not care what He says about it. That is a dangerous place to live. And that could be for any sin. If you're a habitual liar, whatever it is, if there is a sin in your life that God has shown you about and you have told Him, I do not care, I'm not worried about it, I'm going to do what I want, I'm going to live how I want on a regular basis, friends, that's a dangerous place to live. Because one of two things is true. Either you were never saved in the first place or you're a child of God and He's getting ready to correct you strongly. And so when we look at this this morning, I ask you, have you believed and is there evidence of what God has done in your life? That leads us into the next point. When Jesus talks about those who think they're righteous, but not. Friends, I don't want you to miss this this morning. This is why I wanted to put all this sermon into one week and move on. Because you'd look at me just like you're looking at me now, and that's okay. But there are going to be multitudes of people in hell who have sat on church pews and church seats for their entire life. 
In Matthew chapter 25, in verses 41 through 46, Jesus is separating people on one side or the other at the judgment to come. Listen to what it says in verse 41. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was created for Satan and his fallen angels. You are an invader if you go there. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. He makes this accusation that if you're really my follower, why were you not living it out in these ways? But don't miss their response. If you hear nothing else this morning, as people who are at 8 o'clock service, the Sunday morning after the fall festival, when most people would have said, I think I'll sleep in, I ate too much, right? I, I overindulged. In verse 44, Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? What that tells me is they thought they were fine. They thought they were living for God. They thought they were honoring God outwardly. Friends, don't miss that. This morning, only you and God know your heart. I don't care how many mission trips you've been on. I don't care how much money you've given. I don't care how many times you've been here. I don't care how many classes you've taught. I don't care how many titles are behind your name. Friends, it doesn't matter if your heart is not right with God. You can convince everyone in this building that you're right with God, that you are a child of God, that you're doing great things for God. But when the judgment comes and He says, depart from Me, look what it says in verse 45, Then He will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to Me. And these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Friends, we live in a victim culture. What I mean by that is people get on Facebook no matter if they were wrong or right and want to get you to believe that they have been wronged by somebody. That's the culture we live in. And there are people that are really really, really good at it. Some of you might be sitting next to people like that. Some of you might be that. You could sell a popsicle to an Eskimo in Antarctica, right? You could convince people of whatever you want, but on the day of judgment, there will be no convincing the Lord that you are something that you're not. There will be no time of debate. There will be no time to explain there will be no time to change. On that day, the Lord is going to say, I know your heart, I know your works, and this is who you are. And friends, this morning, the greatest plea I could give you is today. While today is an opportunity to make things right with the Lord. Judgment is coming is what the Spirit shows us. 
And the last thing, because we're out of time, is no one escapes the judgment of God except through Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 20, there are multiple different judgments in the Bible. We see the the rewarding of the saints. We see the things like this. But this, the great white throne judgment, is the judgment where everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life stands before God. And listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Don't miss this. He says, the insignificant and the significant, the rich, the poor. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What the Bible teaches is that when you die apart from Christ today, you are going to a place of punishment. The Bible teaches us for those that die today who are Christians, we go into the presence of the Lord. But that is not where we will stay forever. There is going to come a day when all of the dead will stand before the Lord. They will stand before Him on this great white throne. And if you notice, there are books open. The book of life is the book that is those who are purchased by Jesus Christ. Those of us who are born again. Those of us who have had our sins covered because of what Christ did on the cross. And when your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, as we've looked the last couple weeks, you are righteous in God's eyes because of Jesus. But if your name is not written in the book of life, the only thing that we can take from this is, is that all of your sins are recorded. Your rejection of Jesus is recorded. And you are judged accordingly. And at that time, there's a place called the lake of fire. I don't know where it is. I don't understand it. All I can tell you is it's going to be real. And Satan, the Antichrist, the demons, and all who reject Jesus will spend eternity there. Just like you and I as children of God will spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, in that new Jerusalem where there is no sickness, no pain, no death, no suffering, no tears, for the former things have passed away. And what the Bible says is the Holy Spirit is here working in the world today, convicting that Jesus is the only righteous one. It is convicting that we have rejected and sinned and fallen short, but He is convicting today that there is a judgment to come. Why does God convict that there's a judgment to come? A lot of people have different ideas, but this is what I think. Because He wants you to avoid the judgment to come. The Bible tells us that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure in the death of the wicked. But He's holy. He's perfect. And sin will not enter 
into his presence for all of eternity. One of these days, God's going to make everything perfect like it was intended to be. And he wants you to be there. Not because of who you are or what you and I can add, but because God is love. He came to seek and save that which is lost. But friends, what you never need to forget is that while you can be saved, while he wants you to be saved, why there is a way to be saved, friends, there is a consequence for rejecting him. And that's what we've looked at this morning. You say, well, Jake, I'm a child of God. I don't have to worry about the judgment of God. You're right. God has forgiven you. But friends, sin still has consequences. Your life can still affect other people. That's why the Bible tells us, right, not to cause others to stumble. That's why the Bible tells us not to lead others into temptation. That's why the Bible tells pastors that one day I'll have to give an account for you. What I've told you, what I've preached to you, how I've loved you. That's a scary thought. But friends, this morning know this, that Jesus Christ was perfect. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. He took your sins and mine. He took that punishment. He was buried. He rose again. And this morning as the Spirit of God was sent into this world to convict and deal with your heart, today if you will repent of your sins, as the Spirit of God is convicting you, you will be saved. But friends, you will not be able to stand on judgment day if you reject Him and say, I didn't know this was coming. Because this morning you have been warned that God loves you, God will save you, But friends, there's only one way. And sin always has the consequences of ruining our relationship with the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, this morning you know that I've just done what I believe you wanted me to do. Shared what I believe you wanted me to share. And Father, I pray that you'd use it. I pray that you'd use it first and foremost, Lord, to convict the lost that are here this morning that they need you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would convict the saved that their lost family members and friends matter. They need to be praying. They need to be witnessing. They need to be living a life that shows you to them. Father, I pray this morning that if I have sinned against you, Lord, if I have misconstrued you, Lord, that I have in any way not been faithful to you or your word, that you would convict me, that you would deal with me. And Lord, I pray for this congregation of people that today, Lord, they would know you confidently, that they would know that they have believed in you and that you are able to commit that which they have given to you. Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would be honored in everything that has been said and done and everything that is going to go on now at this time of invitation. Lord, help us not just to speed through this, to overlook this, to think this doesn't matter, Lord, but to know that this time right now, this response is the most important moment that some people will ever have in their life with you. And so, Lord, I just ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.